It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons like Eric, Loretta, David, Stephen, Jim, Curtis, Sherry, Nick, Mark, and Eugene. Thanks so much for the support. I could not do the program without you. Uh, they became patrons to support the program. You can as well. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com, click on the link that's up at the top, and then you get exclusive content. Uh, you get the live stream access. Uh, you get the early access to audio clips. So uh, thanks so much for the folks who have become patrons. Also, the show is presented today by General Equipment Rental. Uh, they are located in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated for three generations. This is your one-stop shop for all of your equipment and tool needs. You can buy Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment. They are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Uh, They do equipment service and repair, but they have been uh, in the equipment rental space for uh, 30 plus years. And uh, there's a reason why they've been around so long is because they're really good at it. They will help explain to you what tools you may need for the job. They'll also go through how to operate the tool so you don't need to go out and buy a tool for a one-off project right just get the tool you need rent it from them and then give it back to them and the project is done also 10 percent off the husqvarna auto mower while supplies last and 10 percent off your first rental go to general equipment rental in weaverville or go to their website generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox The Cooper administration sent a list of 22 studies that were all published this year containing what they say is overwhelming scientific evidence for the protective effect of face masks and respiratory virus infection in healthcare and community settings. And uh, this is what John Sanders at the John Locke Foundation, he is the research editor and uh, the director of regulatory studies there. Uh, This is what he has been writing about now for about, uh, this is the third, he's got parts two and three out. He's been writing about this for a couple weeks now, looking at all of the studies that the Cooper administration is using. We talked with him a week or so ago about part one. Now parts two and three are out and John returns. Welcome back, John. Doing well, I assume. Thanks, Pete. I am. Thanks for having me back. Certainly. So uh, let's get right to it because you've got more studies now. I think the first segment or the first series part in the series that you did was uh, you looked at 10 of these studies. Now you uh, have finished with, uh, what, 13 more. So let's uh, let's get to them. The first one you look at here is Zhang et al. This was a study identifying airborne transmission as the dominant route for the spread of COVID-19. We actually discussed this study uh, a couple months ago on a previous show. Right. So this study came out very early in the uh, pandemic, and it basically said that uh, face masks were the determinant in shaping the pandemic trends worldwide and, and saying that wearing masks in public were the most effective means of to prevent transmission. And the reason being is they, they said, look, Italy mandated face masks in April 6th. Um, New York City mandated face masks in April 17th. And look at how their case numbers dropped off. Well, as I pointed out then, um, that was they both put their uh, mandates on 
after the the peak of their inspection spike, those two locations had the kind of spike that we were trying to prevent in North Carolina. That you know the the severe spike and then severe drop off on the other side. So they put the mandates on during the drop off. The researchers say, "Wow, case numbers really fell off." Well, as it turns out. Not only did I point this out, but there was a letter signed by 45 epidemiologists who called for a formal request for retracting the paper because of that methodological error, several other methodological errors, and um, what they called verifiably false statements throughout. So we, we can't use that one. Verifiably false statements. That seems pretty important if we're... Yeah, using this study to base our mask mandate on. So this does not support Cooper's uh, extreme exercise of power. And that is uh, that is the, the question by which you measure all of these studies in and of themselves individually. Does this study support Governor Cooper's executive orders, right? These safer at home or stay at home executive orders, or as I refer to them as the SHIO, um, and so, which still has not caught on for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, and uh, and it, it seems like, no, this one does not support uh, his executive order either. Next up is Wang et al. This study is titled Reduction of Secondary Transmission of SARS-CoV-2 in uh in households by face mask use disinfection and social distancing a cohort study in beijing china uh so what did this study find well this study being uh looked at household transmission of covid19 by people who had confirmed infections so it was looking specifically at people in close contact with people who had confirmed infections um, and then it, it relied on telephone interviews for people to self-report how, how much they wore masks, what kind of uh, hygienic behaviors they took, you know, how, how they cleaned, what kind of physical distancing they took place in the home. Uh, did they use uh, room ventilation? Did they give separate eating utensils and dishes? Things like that. Um, and what they found was that um, Face mask use could could significantly reduce risk of household transmission, um, but they did not test community-wide effects. And they they also said that even in the household, there was difficulty and also no necessity for everyone to wear masks at home. They really wanted their recommendations limited to families with members who were at risk of getting infected. And people, so I guess somebody in the house already has it. Right, right. And again, remember, this is relying on telephone interviews. It wasn't what they uh, call a randomized control trial, which is considered the gold standard, uh, because uh, these kind of uh, cohort retrospective studies will will be confounded by things like recall bias. I, you know, people don't remember when they could have had other encounters. Um, observer bias, where the questioner is not realizing they might be asking a biased question or, or um, there's information bias, all kinds of things that are not found in randomized controlled trials. Yeah. But going further than that, uh, Wang and, and others recommend, they don't call for governor or government orders for mask wearing at home, and they recommend it only for those families with members who are at risk of getting infected. This is not what Cooper's order is doing. Cooper's order pretty much assumes that everyone is a risk, to others just by virtue of simply breathing 
and that that assumption does not does not work mm-hmm. yeah the um the use of telephone interviews to ask people what they did prior to uh you know an infection occurring in the house like you're not measure you're not measuring actual behavior <clears throat> you're measuring recall that that's what all of those types of studies do they measure recall and that is inherently problematic right and and they were testing several different kind of things for use within the home i mean this this study was not designed um, to be used by governments to force orders on people. This, this is a study of, of a pandemic and things that may be done within the home. If you've got someone who you know is actually infected and you've got people in the home that you know are at risk, what are some things that might work? Next up is, I'm probably going to mangle this name, Down <laughs> Nern et al. This, case, uh, this was a case control study of use of personal protective measures and risk for the uh, SARS coronavirus 2 infection. This came out of Thailand. So, uh, so far, we're 0 for 2 on the second batch of mask studies uh, justifying Roy Cooper's executive order. So how about this latest study, uh, this down Nern et al.? What, what did this one find? This is another one of those uh, retrospective case control studies, and it relies on telephone interviews with... Um, people who were affected by uh, three large COVID clusters in uh, Thailand. And uh, they, they asked for their best of their memories about mask wearing, contact with, with um, index patients, so people that they know are infected. Um, and they asked about hand washing, social distancing, how, con- how close they were, did they share the same cups, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> so what they found was that uh, there were lower odds of infection from maintaining social distance. And, um, similar odds of infection from being in, in, in contact less than 15 minutes. Um, and they found that wearing a mask sometimes during contact was not statistically significantly associated with a lower risk of infection. They did test the odds of infection concerning the types of, man- of uh, mask worn and that medical masks, uh, which are not the ones that are promoted by the Cooper administration for the general public, they were associated with lower odds of infection when worn during contact with a known COVID-19 patient. Um, they calculated slightly lower odds of infection from wearing higher non-medical masks. But if you look at the range of uh, their odds that they cited, that included a higher range of infection. So there was actually a higher risk of infection for some of the masks that were worn. And that was a prediction i mean that was a finding in a previous study also that some masks actually increased your risk of infection so it could be okay it could make some difference it could make a minimal difference or it could make you sicker so anything really it seems like a pretty yeah it seems like a pretty well, because wide there's so range many different ways that people there's so many different ways that people can use the mask or it, um if they're touching it wrong if they are setting it down, if they are wearing it for too long. I mean, there's so many things that, that research has brought out. Um, Wang even, um, I said Wang, uh, I can't pronounce the guy's name either. Dongyurn Dong said yeah. even that quarantine measures can be challenging and sometimes impractical. Uh, yeah, one of the quotes here, the study specifically <clears throat> cautions against some aspects of mask wearing inherent in the extent 
uh, of Roy Cooper's order. You say they cost, for example, restaurant patrons, school children, people trying to speak clearly, and even governors and health secretaries taking turns at the same microphone for like half an hour uh, to resort to regularly donning and doffing the masks. This is... You and I have talked about this before. The more you handle the masks, the, the the less effective they are and the increase in risk of spreading. And one of the um, it, it, not it, just COVID either. It could be exactly could be other infections. Right. And you and I have both noted this, that we watch all of these press conferences, these briefings that the governor does with his health secretary, and they will walk up to the podium, take the mask off, set it on the podium, speak and then put the mask back on, step away from the podium, and then the next person comes up immediately behind them and does the same ritual. And so what's happening is they're talking in the same cloud of lung juice, right? Because it's all right <laughs> there. They're all, and they're breathing it in, they're talking, and they literally take the mask off when they enter that cloud. And then they handle their mask, they put it on the table, and then the next one comes and puts their mask on the table. It, they're actually... They're proving our point and your point here that the way you wear the mask is as important as the kind of mask that you're wearing. And they don't seem to understand that, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> or they're not worried about it because they're seeing things that uh, we're not. Right. I try not to ascribe nefarious motives, uh, but yeah, that that is one of the possibilities. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of possibilities, if it's a possibility that you need a new mattress, then uh, go to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. This is where I got my mattress years ago. It's a memory foam king size. Christian, I love it. It's like sleeping on a marshmallow. Now, maybe you want an inner spring mattress, a traditional one, or maybe you want a pocketed spring or pillow top or natural latex or hand tufted or two sided or hotel foam, whatever you are looking for, Mattress Man has got it. Uh, they've got the Restonic Biltmore Mattress line. This is uh, the line that's made in Fayetteville. Um, and these are at the Biltmore Inn and Hotel on the Biltmore grounds. They also have the Nature's Spa brand. Uh, this is from Paramount Sleep. It's a series of hybrid mattresses. Uh, these are featured at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. So if you want quality mattresses for great prices, they ship nationwide. Go to mattressmanstores.com. Uh, if you are local, they've got five-star local delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. Uh, my guest is John Sanders. He is the research editor and director of regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation. And uh, we're talking about the research that he has done, the study of the studies, uh, the 22 studies that the governor of North Carolina cites as uh, the the science for uh, why he implemented the mask mandate. Uh, one of the common themes we're also seeing here is that a lot of these studies are undermining his arguments for lockdowns, uh, which is sort of a, an ironic side effect here is that when you actually go through and read the studies, so many of them say, uh, yeah, we looked at the masks, but by the way, don't do lockdowns, <laughs> which that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which he's which he did. So uh, all right, let's get to the next one. This is Wilson et al. Uh, titled Factors Influencing Risk for COVID-19 Exposure Among Young Adults Ages 18 to 23. This one's out of Wisconsin, right? So what did this one find? So this one's out of Winnebago County, Wisconsin. It relied on telephone interviews with 30 people, mm. um, and they wanted to identify drivers of behavior that influence risk for exposure 
to COVID-19 among young adults, and they gave survey participants a gift card of $25. <laughs> um, they stopped at 30 because they said they had reached thematic saturation um, and they weren't getting any, any new information. And basically, they decided that the drivers of behavior that were putting young people at risk was that they perceived that there was a low severity of disease outcome, which incidentally is true for it's young true. people. Right. It is um, true. <laughs> perceived responsibility to others, peer pressure, and then exposure to misinformation, conflicting messages, or opposing views regarding masks. Okay. Uh, so they, uh, they want to provide uh, government officials with a framework for tailoring communications methods messages that might persuade young adults to adhere to public health guidelines like wearing masks. Does this support uh, Cooper's executive order? No. Um, <laughs> I just, if we're going to start relying on 30 phone conversations in Winnebago County to uh, order everyone around in North Carolina, then what are we even doing here? And it, if I am reading this correctly, this was about communications and messages yes. right this isn't really even about mask wearing yes and cooper has always had the opportunity to recommend to persuade to urge people to adopt practices like like wearing face masks if he believes it's healthy and and you know he hasn't chosen to do that he has chosen instead to try to force it on everybody and then he, now he's trying to get um the local sheriffs and the local um police and and your community, people in your community to, to snitch on you. Yeah, the, the, the letter that went out to the cities and counties saying, hey, you guys need to do civil ordinances so this way you can go after people with civil, uh, civil penalties because all the state has in its toolbox is criminal penalties and we don't want to, you know, create permanent criminal charges on people's records. So if you could just, you know, fine them hundreds of dollars, that would be acceptable. That's that's preferable, I should say. So um, next up here is Leffler et al. This study is titled Association of Countrywide Coronavirus Mortality with Demographics, Testing, Lockdowns, and Public Wearing of Masks. Um, so what did this study look at and what did it find? All right, so this one is a very far-ranging study, and probably, to me, probably the most impressive one of the bunch. Uh, it looks at 200 countries with different, quote, societal norms, quote, um, and government policies regarding mask wearing. Um, and it finds there was lower per capita mortality in countries where mask use was either accepted as a cultural norm or favored by government policies. They looked at the early outbreak, and then they stopped looking as of April 16th for infections and then May 9th for, for deaths. So this is at the very, very early days. Uh, so it, it, it's not capturing anything of uh, the fall um, spikes in all of these countries. Um, interestingly enough, though, they, count, they uh, score the United States as a mask-wearing country prior to most <laughs> <laughs> of the uh, statewide mask mandates because people were voluntarily adopting them. Um, they, they score as of April 12th. So that's not, yeah. So you write societal norms and government policies supporting mask wearing by the public were independently associated with lower per capita mortality from COVID-19. I read that and I thought, well, this seems like the the closest thing to proof then that Cooper can use, right? That if you got a lot of mask wearing by the public, then that is uh, most closely associated with lower death counts, right? That that sounds like a good thing. 
It does sound like a good thing. And the problem for, for North Carolina is, is we have no idea what, what the actual COVID mortality is. Uh, the, the Cooper administration um, conflates death data so that we can't disaggregate who, is, who has died owing to COVID uh, or from fatal complications brought about because of a COVID infection or those who have died while coincidentally also having been diagnosed with COVID. And, and I'm seeing now that that can be, you know, up to 60 days prior. Um, and then I saw some, you know, just as an aside, there was a thing yesterday um, out of Colorado that in this one county of Colorado that 40% of their COVID deaths were, uh, one of the comorbidities was they had been shot. <laughs> well, I can see how that might increase the stats a little bit yeah it might have an impact but interesting <laughs> uh, another uh, yeah another thing was that uh this study leffler et al did not find that lockdowns are associated with reduced mortality uh, so this is another study that says don't do the lockdowns um but even so when when you know cooper is continuing to threaten lockdowns um and more so in recent weeks than ever before right so you know, he's saying that he's not really trusting this research. If he is going to go against some of it, um, where when it refers to lockdowns, whereas he wants to use the mask ideas of it um, to force it on people. Well, it is. It's just another way in which a lot of the uh, the pandemic science is uh, very similar to religion. Just like we have cafeteria Catholics and uh, folks that pick and choose which elements of the faith to believe and follow. Uh, so, too, I guess, do we have people right, <laughs> picking and right. choosing we, elements of studies that they want to follow? Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing, too, is that they find pretty much that the, the United States was already a mask wearing country. And, you know, uh, independent other other studies and surveys are finding that uh, vast majorities of people are, are, are wearing them now. The, the orders would have to disaggregate um, whether or not. Uh, people would be doing it voluntarily or those who would just have to be forced. But that's, you know, I would assume a very small amount of people at this point. Um, so what the study does not provide is strong enough evidence for government coercion as opposed to recommendations and public messaging as the previous study and many other studies in the Cooper administration have put forth for mask wearing or taking other safety tips um, in order to to justify an emergency order. Well, and also, if we were deemed to be a mask-wearing country prior to the mask mandate that Cooper issued, it seems to me like we would have seen the reductions before he issued the mandate, like two months, like that. this study was done two months prior. So why, why have the mandate at all uh, if we're already a mask-wearing people? Right. Well, it, it seems to me that it's just, you know, this study says masks are good. Let's throw it up. No one's <laughs> going to read it. Uh, you put it in a list of 22. No one's going to read this list. They're just going to say, oh, wow. Okay, there is science. But John Sanders read it. So we didn't have to. Uh, now, here's something you don't have to do. If you don't want to get your house sold, then don't get Rowena Patton as your real estate agent. If you don't want to buy a house, then don't get Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team to you, uh, to work for you. Now, if you are looking to buy or sell a house, then you should get Rowena Patton to work for you because she outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's got homes in all price points. She has buyers lined up buying or selling. She is the only agent that I called, uh, and I highly recommend her to you as well. Her phone number is 333 
4483. That's 333 4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com and give her a call and then start packing. Uh, John Sanders is the research editor and director of regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation. You can read his work at johnlocke.org, and that is Locke with an E, johnlocke.org. Next study, Lou and Webby. I think I'm pronouncing those not even correctly, but I tried. Community use of face masks and COVID-19, evidence from a natural experiment of state mandates in the U.S. I saw this one and I thought, okay, now we're getting someplace. This one looks like it's tailored right for us, right? Mask mandates. Uh, and uh, in America, what do we find? Well, I'm like you. When when I saw this one um, originally, this was one of the, the three that uh, Mandy Cohen brought to the General Assembly a week before Cooper instituted his original mask mandate. And Cooper really liked this study. He cited it first in his executive order among five examples of studies studying the effectiveness of face coverings. That's his, um, the executive order that tightened the mask order back on November 23rd. Um, so, in, and in some of my work, I do make state-by-state comparisons. So this, this is, you know, this, this is what I'm kind of interested in. So these guys identified 15 states and D.C. that had executive orders <clears throat> or directives issued between April 8th and May 15th. So we're still very early days mm-hmm. uh, that mandate mask wearing. Then they did this thing where they built a predictive model for case studies. They looked at the preceding five days before the mask mandates, and then as and they just used that as the baseline for the trends. So Wait, five right. days prior. Hey, hang on. Um, okay. Five days they built yes. a whole model on five days of data. Again, this is early times. Um, they're looking at starting in April 8th. I mean, we were just starting to get orders and and things in late March. Right. So they didn't have many days worth of data. Okay. So, so they did five days before to set the baseline. All right. And then they looked at what happened afterwards after the mandates were were. Past. They looked at the, you know, in five-day increments until um, 21 days plus. And they found that, uh, according to their estimates, they found a daily rate decline um, in actual cases versus their model's prediction, suggesting that as many as 230,000 to 450,000 cases may have been averted uh, due to these mandates. Uh, um so I looked through that. It's a very bold finding. But then again, you know, they're, they're saying our estimates suggest these cases may have been averted. The range is 230 to 450. So it's a huge, huge range. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very well hedged. And in so saying, they also say, look, you know, these estimates should be viewed cautiously and only as general approximations. So I looked at this back in August and looked at where the states were at that point. And I was seeing, in many cases, cases were surging again. Um, it w- these were all over the map. Some states had the mask mandate put before they had any cases, and suddenly they were having case surges. Some had put them on the backside, and things were falling off, and all of a sudden, the cases were ramping back up. I did a quick change. I didn't want to throw all these graphs in this in this um, particular study um, because it would have just taken up so much space. Mm-hmm. But I, I did link to all the states graphs. And again, 
you know, we're seeing exactly what we're seeing in North Carolina. You know, we're seeing surging, which suggests that what they're saying is not accurate anymore. Uh, time has not been mm-hmm. kind to their estimates, predictions. Right. So it, it's and we've talked about this before over the past few months that different states with different protocols and responses and orders they all of their graphs kind of look the same right where in the springtime when it first arrived we see this uh the, don't call it a spike but you know an, an increase and then it it tapers off and then kind of goes along in the summer and it's kind of plateaued and then uh come fall numbers go up again Right. They all kind of look the same, no matter where the mandates for masks or, uh, you know, staying at home or the restaurant open, restaurant closed, bars open, gyms open, closed now. Like no matter what the, the protocols are and how they change, all of the graphs still look the same. And so if you're going back to April or May and you are saying, aha, a mask mandate put in place in early April and look, the numbers went down and you're saying that the mask mandate did that, then all of the numbers go back up and they do that in every other state. That would lead me to believe that maybe the mandates and these orders aren't really having that kind of an impact on the total spread. That's my conclusion, but I'm not a scientist. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think it's a fair conclusion. This is what we see from viruses in general. And the fall and winter is, is peak virus season. Next up, Eikenberry. Thank you for having a name I can pronounce easily. <laughs> to mask or not to mask. Modeling the potential for face mask use by the general public to curtail the COVID-19 pandemic. I thought, oh, here's one. Seems like it's directly related to what we're discussing, right? So what did this one find? This one builds a mathematical model to assess community-wide impact of mask use by the general asymptomatic public, a portion of which may be asymptomatically infectious. Uh, so that's it's very much in line of, of what we are receiving as the wisdom on masks from the governor and from the media that, that like to parrot his points. Um, so they pro- project that uh, an 80% adoption of wearing moderately effective masks could prevent some range of projected deaths in uh, Washington and New York. But the, the one thing that jumps out at me in this study is how many times they reference that there's a great uncertainty in, in the research literature about the effectiveness of masks, how much they just talk about uncertainty in general. They've got one sentence where they say their summary sentence. And I'll, I'll just highlight the, uh, the hedging and the uncertain words that come with it. In summary, the benefit to routine face masks used by the general public during the COVID-19 pandemic remains uncertain. But our initial mathematical modeling work suggests a possible strong potential benefit <laughs> to near universal adoption of even weakly effective homemade masks that may synergize with, not replace, other control and mitigation measures. So they are, they're saying masks could work, but then they just hedge, 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 hedge. Homemade masks may afford significant, though variable, and generally lesser protection, which we've, we've kind of discussed earlier today and in the last time we talked mm-hmm. about this from other studies finding that same thing. Um, the variable could mean also you could actually get sick. Right. Uh, it's largely unknown to what degree homemade masks may protect against droplets, aerosols, and viral transmission. Um, and then later they reference again appreciable uncertainty. 
And then they say that our theoretical results still must be interpreted with caution. So you mentioned in this write-up, this this portion of the write-up, the precautionary principle, and I'm not sure we covered it in this uh, episode. I know we did in the last one. Run down, what is the precautionary principle? Okay, so yeah, they, they refer to the precautionary principle as, as produ- you know, saying we should adopt masks. So the precautionary principle basically says if, if there's an unproven uh, solution with potential good benefits and the harms to using the solution are not seen to be very great, whereas the harms to not doing anything are perceived to be catastrophic, then we should just do it. Right. And honestly, and, that's been sort of my my general approach to masks and various other aspects of the protocols, which is like, I'm not sure. So it's a very little inconvenience. So, yeah, I'll do it. I might as well do it. And because if it does work to some degree, I'd rather have that work than than not do anything and have it not work. Right. Like that's sort of that's been my approach. I guess I've been employing the the precautionary principle. Well, there's what there's differences in employing the precautionary principle um, individually and voluntarily and then invoking the precautionary principle to force social change. Um, precautionary principle has has been invoked in order to to um, change energy policy. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, what if we're wrong about about uh, natural gas and, and nuclear power and 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 fossil fuels? And, you know, what what harm could it make if we just implemented clean energy and and avoid catastrophic um, projected worldwide? Uh, harms from from climate change even though we're not sure the harms are there or how or how cataclysmic it could be they certainly sound that bad and and then what you do is you overlook the actual risks and harms of of forcing these things uh there's new research out about um suicides among people aged 25 to 44 um as as um part of dealing with this pandemic and and the unemployment and the uh the mental health crisis brought about by the government responses so we're not asking these questions when we're only looking at um trying to prevent infections and whether masks or forcing masks on people actually work what about the messaging though that they i mean they is there a benefit from a from a communications and messaging standpoint that they cannot admit uncertainty in the science because to do so would give people an out right it would it would let people ignore the the pleadings the urgings to say please you know wear a mask we're not sure if it works but please do it that's not going to be as compelling of a message it's not going to convince as many people to do it than uh, you know fear-mongering basically and to say like this is the science it's clear look at all these studies you need to do this just so just if you're trying to get everybody on board does it make sense from a messaging perspective? Well, I'm not very good at that. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> I just try to find the, the best information. So, you know, I don't know uh, the, the psychology of, of reaching people with, with, the best, with the best approach. My, my own inclination is to say give people, I, as an economist, is give people the best information. If it's, look, we think this might work, but – there's reason to think that maybe they're not as effective, but you know we we think these these studies are compelling enough that uh, we're going to recommend them to people, 
and suggests that you adopt masks where you think it's possible, where you think it's 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 sensible. I mean, I doubt very few people are going to adopt masking in their own home when they're having Christmas visitors over, like the governor wants. But um, they they may adopt it when they're out in public, as as uh, studies have shown, people are voluntarily doing um, when they when they go to grocery stores or or in public transportation or things like that. Now, one way to avoid going out and spreading all of the COVID is to just do your shopping from home. You can go to oldgrouch.com and check out all of the cold weather gear and clothing, military-grade thermal underwear, uh, wool sweaters, military field jackets, and solid green and camo, wool and fleece, toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. You're going to find this stuff a lot cheaper at Old Grouch's military surplus than you'll find it at most outdoor stores. Also, some limited edition survival outdoor kits. These are on the website as a Christmas special featuring a high-quality Swedish-made Mora knife, fire starter, canteen, compass, and more, and it's all packed into your choice of either an ammo can or a pretty nice shoulder bag that's actually a repurposed Finnish Army gas mask bag. Uh, The kits make both a good base for an emergency survival kit or uh, a great outdoor adventure starting kit because it's got everything that you need and you should be carrying whenever you go camping or hiking anyway. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They are on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. We're talking with John Sanders. He is the research editor and the director of regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation. He has assessed uh, all of the governor's cited studies for why he has issued the mask mandate. Uh, Next up here, we have uh, there's a whole series of names. Let's see. well, Just say Ma et al. <laughs> okay, Ma et al. Ma and others. Uh, potential utilities of mask wearing and instant hand hygiene for fighting uh, SARS-CoV-2. Uh, what did this one find? So these guys tested a whole bunch of different uh, mask material. Um, by by they, they created a little way of, of breathing in diluted bird flu virus into a bag through uh, an open-ended syringe through these different materials and they found what you might expect them to find that n95 blocked nearly everything medical masks blocked approximately 97 percent of the virus and that they found that homemade masks um could block approximately 95 percent of the virus oh, except that's good. when you read oh. what the homemade mask was that they tested um these were i'm quoting now made of four layer kitchen paper each layer com- contains three thin layers and then one layer of polyester cloth, which they said should be helpful as indicated by this study. Well, that's so not what it, your it mask is. Is your not right. is your mask not like that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think my mask has kitchen paper. Um, so, what if if these could be helpful? What or should be helpful? What shouldn't be helpful? Well, they write other types of homemade masks, especially those made of cloth alone, may be unable to block the virus and oh. thus confer no protection against the virus interesting so all right so that, and that that's generally what people are wearing uh let me get to the next study here because we're going to run out of time i'm afraid we've got lung and chu and xiu uh, they say their title is respiratory virus shedding in exhaled breath and efficacy of face masks what did this study find so they tested um people that had the seasonal coronavirus or the flu or the common cold and tested 
they 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 strapped some test subjects with masks and some without and tested their exhalations and the virus. <clears throat> they um, they weren't able to find significant uh, findings of blocking except through surgical face masks, uh, reduced viral shedding of influenza droplets mm. and cr- seasonal coronavirus aerosol particles. Again, these are not masks that are that are in Cooper's order for general people, for the general public. <clears throat> they also found that um, their findings imply that close contact would be required for transmission to occur. Again, that's that's also in a lot of the research. It, it, it's a something from close contact, not from passing someone in the street or outside or you know in the grocery store or whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things to me was that they found that the large proportion of participants with undetected viral shedding and exhaled breath for each of the viruses studied. These are people they know are sick and have have symptoms of, of these three viruses, and they were not shedding virus. Hmm. And then they also didn't try to culture the viruses that were shed, so they don't even know how infectious these people were. <laughs> Cooper's order requires... Um, mask wearing by asymptomatic um, everybody, right? Um, at, assuming that everyone is a risk to each other by virtue of simple, simply breathing, especially if they're not showing any signs of any of being sick. So uh, this study is not uh, is too limited to to apply to his emergency order, and Cooper's order doesn't apply to this study. Next up, Fisher at all low cost measurement of face mask efficacy for filtering expelled droplets during speech and as a speaker i can tell you i expel droplets all right so what did this study find all right so this was the duke study that came out in the spring if you recall um, where they tested a whole bunch of different masks uh, mass materials um, by and they wanted to find a cheap way of evaluating masks um by using just a cell phone camera and and speaking across the material, uh, and they found a, a range of a range of effectiveness um, depending on the material. Like some things they like the uh, are uh, the net gators, and they probably disperse droplets and aerosolize. And some things were were close um, to uh, to medical masks. But the interesting thing about using this study is the reason the study exists is not to say. We need mass mandate. The reason the study exists is to say, well, because of mask mandates, people need to find a good way to evaluate how effective different materials for masks are. So Cooper is using a study that assumes a mask order in place to say we need a mask order. This is circular reasoning. <laughs> uh, all right. Next up, my favorite, Bay. Bay and others. Effectiveness of surgical and cotton masks in blocking SARS-CoV-2, a controlled comparison in four patients. What did this one find? I don't know. (laughs) I didn't read it. What I saw was a notice of retraction. Oh. And the the journal retracted the article and did not give the authors a chance to rewrite it, which suggests to me that they really thought it was a bad study. (laughs) So a retracted article certainly must never serve as a basis for an extreme emergency order. Right. One would think. Uh, Next up, Conda, Prakash, Moss, Schmolt, Grant, and Guha. 
titled Aerosol Filtration Efficiency of Common Fabrics Used in Respiratory Cloth Masks. What did this one find? This is another one that tests different kind of uh, mask materials, and they and they tested over 15 natural and synthetic fabrics, and uh, they found a range of filtration efficiencies, um, ranging from five to 95 percent of of efficiency in in um, fil- filtering out particles. Uh, hybrid masks they found had the higher efficiencies, and then the higher weave cotton masks also. <clears throat> They summarized with can and potentially, cloth masks can potentially provide significant protection against transmission. But then they start qualifying their findings. And and when I say qualifying, I mean, they're trying to be scientists. Mm -hmm. They're they're not saying, uh, in doing these kind of studies, they're not saying what the Cooper administration is, is wanting, which is, the government's gotta force these people on people. Right. They're, They're saying, how do we test these different mass materials because people are interested in this. So they say, they said, look, gaps or anything that causes an improper fit of the mask can result in over 60% decrease in filtration efficiency. Um, they mentioned later on that uh, it's important to note that in a realistic situation, their words, of masks worn on the face without elastomeric gasket fittings, uh, the presence of gaps between the mask and face contours will result in leakage which will reduce the effectiveness of the mask. It's well recognized that fit is a critical aspect of mm-hmm. the high performance mask. Yeah, and we, then and later we've known on, this for they, a while. Yeah. We've known that for a while, yeah. Right, um, and then later on they also say, this is a, a very early study as well, um, there are opportunities for future studies, um, such as what kind of cloth mask design for could be made for a better fit, and then they mention also, the role of factors such as humidity arising from exhalation <laughs> and the role of repeated use in washing of cloth masks. So, again, it, this really is another study that points to the fact that, that some of the things that, that Cooper's order has basically made possible, you have to wear masks for a long time. You're going to get them moist and humid from breathing through them. Um, now you have to wear them in gyms and high school athletes have to wear them when they're playing basketball and volleyball and and they're going to get moist and and nasty from that, um, and that that aspect is just lost on Cooper. Yeah. Uh, so those were the 22 studies that Cooper's uh, office uh, offered up. But you, being the overachiever that you are, you looked at a bonus study, <clears throat> Hatzius et al., titled "Face Masks and GDP." Where'd you get this one from? <laughs> I got this one from Cooper's executive order of November 23rd. He listed this among the five examples of studies studying the effectiveness of face coverings. This is a Goldman Sachs research paper, and it was done by for Goldman Sachs by people who are really worried about the uh, economic effects of, a, of government lockdowns. So they want to avoid government lockdowns, such as what Cooper did with his stay-at-home order back in March, and that he's now flirting with with his modified stay-at-home order and all of these warnings that he can do more. Um, These guys acknowledge that investors are worried about renewed broad lockdowns with uh, negative, large negative effects of GDP. So they take Lou and Webby, if you remember, we talked about that a little bit earlier. They Mm -hmm. take those findings and then they, they estimate from, from those very limited findings from the very early days that uh, not having, by having masks, we could avoid lockdowns 
and by not having lockdowns, we can avoid losing up to 5% of GDP. This study is based on assumptions that have pretty much proven elusive over time. Furthermore, if Cooper's really paying attention, this, this study, which he cited in his executive order, is screaming at him, do not shut down the state. Try to avoid lockdowns. And, and is he even paying attention? Is he sobered by these warnings? Because uh, he's still warning that he, he may do it and he may have to do it. Like he said, we'll do more right. after he dropped the last one. He keeps saying it, but I'm not so sure he will, only because uh, I think he's got to be aware of all the research on the lockdowns, even though I think he's getting a lot of pressure from the left to do more lockdowns uh, and media. They're like screaming for them almost. Um, I, I don't uh, I think he is aware of that. I think that's why he's using it as a threat. And it's why he hasn't done it yet, because our numbers now are worse than they were when he actually did lock us down. So I think that's to me, I take that as proof that he understands he can't lock down the state again because the science doesn't support. But let me let me ask you a final question here before uh, before we wrap up. You've now gone through 23 studies and not a one of them proves that the mask mandate actually reduces the spread of the virus, which is what Cooper has been saying. But what about taking them all in totality? Like, doesn't there come a point where you have nearly two dozen studies and they all show that this might work? then isn't that enough? Does, you know, does 23 maybes equal a yes? Not if you're talking about going to the extreme of an emergency order. This is, the, Cooper does not have to do the order. Cooper can use the, the respect afforded his office and his uh, Department of Health and Human Services to come out and promote a public information campaign, treat people as equals, treat people as thinking adults, and say, we really think this is a good idea, and here's why. This research is not a slam dunk, but we think it provides enough evidence where maybe uh, you should really consider this. Not all states are doing are, are, are mandating mask use, and still in those, in those states, vast majorities of people are, are adopting involuntarily. Cooper is not allowing that in this state. That's all I'm, I'm my concern is that um, we are we are instituting extreme emergency orders that are open ended, that are in the face of the Emergency Management Act that went outside of, of state law in order to do that. And we as a society are saying, well, it's OK, because we're really worried about this and we think that this is dangerous, the situation. Um, so. We're going to allow it. And I think that over time is much more dangerous. John Sanders, the research editor and director of regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation. Read his work at johnlocke.org. John, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for spending the time with us. Thanks so much, Pete. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your, your listeners. Now, you know what would make a really good Christmas present? For someone in your life that may be looking for deeper sleep, lower tension, balanced state of mind, uh, immune system resilience, a better quality of life. Is that person you? Get Growers Hemp 
full-spectrum hemp extract and add it to your daily routine. Or they can uh, get it as a Christmas present. They have topicals as well, like balms and salves. They've got lozenges. I take the drops, the CBD oil drops, and I take it and I go to bed and I sleep more deeply than I ever have in my entire life. So go to growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE, and you'll get 20% off. As with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer from GovCo uh, requirements. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Go to Grower hemp.com these are north carolina farmers they set up the whole operation they control it from the seed all the way to the shelf so you get higher quality at a lower price and you're supporting north carolina local farmers and their families growershemp.com promo code pete for 20 percent off from north carolina farmers to you it's about the hemp and not the hype all right, so WRAL breaking the story that several people with ties to state Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger's office were in quarantine after attending a Christmas party, according to spokesman Pat Ryan. Berger hosts a party every year for current and former staff members, and this year the senator hosted a smaller celebration with some current staff and guests at a Raleigh restaurant. Quote, the gathering was in line with all relevant restrictions, including capacity limits inside restaurants, said Ryan. Uh, Current pandemic restrictions limit indoor gatherings to 10 people, but restaurants can allow up to 50 percent capacity. Ryan said they had fewer than 30 people and they did wear masks. But the criticism has just been heaped upon Berger and Republicans for trying to kill people by going to a Christmas party, which I guess I'm supposed to now take away from this. The idea that Republicans are the only ones dining out over the last six months, right? Because if you look at the reaction, it looks like Democrats and a lot of media, but I repeat myself, they haven't been dining out during the pandemic because they care more than Republicans, I guess. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. Uh, maybe become a patron of the program as well if you would like it. Cool stuff and exclusive content. It's at thepetecalendarshow.com. Thanks for listening. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Music.